Well, hello and welcome to uh, the final A Photographic Life of 2020. And what a year it has been. No contributor this week, as is traditional for our New Year's special. But um, I'm going to look back at the last year and I'm going to try and look forward as well. The future rewards those who press on. I don't have time to feel sorry for myself. I don't have time to complain. I'm going to press on. Barack Obama said that, and uh, over the last few weeks, I've been reading his book, A Promised Land. So it felt appropriate at the end of such a tumultuous year, of particularly of American politics, that um, I end the year with uh, some wise words from somebody who I consider to be a calm and balanced presence. So what can we take that is positive from 2020? Well, the whole situation with COVID has seemed to have pushed a lot of people into positions that they've been either reluctant, I suppose, to uh, to undertake, have been vehemently arguing against, or just very close-minded to. I talk, of course, about the idea of using online platforms for engagement other than for a social perspective. So, I think what we've seen over the last year, particularly in the UK with the beginning of the um, first lockdown, was a large number of photographers making themselves available for free to give portfolio reviews, to give uh, advice. And that's all fantastic. And I'm really pleased that that happened. I hope it doesn't uh, fall by the wayside when we all get our vaccines and return to some kind of an order. I really feel that those photographers who did that, they they were kind of putting a marker down in the sand and saying, look, I'm here to help and I'm not going to charge you for it. And I think that was great. Following on from that, um, a lot of photographers were also giving free or very reduced price um, portfolio reviews. Again, a fantastic um, initiative there. Photographers sharing their knowledge and their experience for free. Festivals have had to have a strong online offering of events this year so that those who can't travel or those uh, exhibitions that couldn't be hung could be accessed by people all around the world. Events and talks also moved online, making those available. I think it would be very fair to say that in the last year, I've been to more talks and more events around photo festivals in one year than I have been in my life. This has primarily been because I can join those events from the shed. I can actually reach out to all of that stuff that's going on and find out about it and get involved with it without having to travel without having to have that impact on the my family life and without having to spend money on hotels and so forth. So I really hope that festivals see this again as something to continue with.
Over the last few months, when there's been little work around or you've been locked in your house, and when I record this, when I'm recording this now, um, at the end of December 2020, the UK is already going into a whole series of tiers of lockdown, which, to be honest, until the vaccinations come, show no sign of lifting. So although I'm talking about the past, I suppose I'm also talking about the present and the future. But one of the things I've seen a lot of photographers do is spending time on their archives, revisiting uh, work that may be recent or looking at work that goes way back to the beginning of their career. I've even seen some photographers um, showing work that they created the very first time they put a roll of film in a camera. And that's interesting to see, to provide that context. As a result of all of these photographers looking at their archives, what we've also seen are a number of books coming out of those archives. Uh, Self-initiated, self-funded photo books. That's exciting. Perhaps also that will progress into the idea of more online exhibitions as part of online festivals. I'm seeing this as very democratic. I'm seeing this as an opportunity for all of us to really grow our audiences into international audiences. And that has to be good. Alongside that, looking back and that documentation of the archive and getting everything sorted out and maybe tidying up on the website, I've also seen a lot of uh, photographers being forced to document their immediate environment. No longer the opportunity to travel, suddenly that daily walk becomes a photographic adventure. And I've seen a lot of work coming out of that, which is interesting. If nothing else, just like the athlete or the musician who needs to practice every day to keep their fingers or their body attuned with that muscle memory, a same situation with a photographer, I would suggest. We need to photograph every day to keep that eye attuned and that brain working and actually also getting all of those images out of us that perhaps aren't as strong as we build up to the work that we think is more important to us. So I've seen a lot of that documentation of the immediate environment and I welcome seeing that. Although I have to say that uh, initial response by many photographers of just photographing people through windows, I think it, it paled very quickly and although one or two of those projects may perhaps remain as historic records of this time, I think the majority of the work was actually weak. Meanwhile, what will 2021 bring? Well, magazines are closing and they're closing their offices as well. My wife, who's in the editor of a magazine, no longer travels to her office every day to create what is a national and international magazine. What she does is she walks to our other office and she works within the house and her team are all disparate. They're all working in their homes around the country. What, of course, this provides is a problem for the photographer trying to make contact with those teams. No longer is there a central focus, a central point at which you could drop off your portfolio, or drop in for a chat. 
obviously this isn't good and it's really going to push the creative abilities and the creative nature of the photographer as to how they can actually make uh, connections. There's an argument to say that we should be returning to the old ways of creating postcards and writing letters. I'm a big fan of this. In a world when everyone is sending an email, why not step outside of that? Why not do something different? Of course, it's going to be different, difficult, I should say, if everybody's at home, because home addresses are not going to be given out. But let's hope that these magazines retain a postbox number or somewhere where we can send stuff to. But we should be aware of that change. And it's not only within magazines. We know that going forwards, advertising people are curators. They're going to be working from home as our publishers. So we need to be aware of that as photographers. And we need to build that into our thinking for the coming year. Alongside that, there's no doubt that there has been a massive economic impact on the world uh, due to COVID. Brands are reducing their marketing spends and therefore they're reducing their budgets that they can spend on photography. I'm also slightly concerned that all of these people who are now living an online existence as a virtual office will also start to feel more drawn or even more drawn to the readily created image that is available there in stock agencies. Maybe that's something we need to think about. Do we need to think about connecting with some of those stock agencies? Is there a future for going back to the independent stock agency? I don't know. But what I do know is that things will change and we need to change our mindset with them. The responsibility to retain our practices are increasingly falling on our shoulders. We can no longer rely upon a client or a client's database to ring us every week and give us work. We're needing to be more creative. And at this time of the year, if it hadn't been for COVID, what I would usually be talking about, if you go back through previous New Year specials, is very much about the idea of re-looking at the website and tidying things up and making small changes. But I think moving forward, we need to be the innovator. We need to show our creativity, not just with a camera, but also with a tangential thinking. And speaking of that, and following on from the idea of brands reducing their market spends, and as we've all seen, our restaurants, bars, pubs, shops on the high street closing, maybe it's time for the photographer to step in. With high street stores becoming vacant, could they become temporary gallery spaces, art centres, collective art spaces? Is there an opportunity here for a yoga space to be a gallery space, to be a cafe, to be a, a drop-in library? Is that an opportunity for talks and events to take place in that shop on the high street? I'm old enough to remember the 1970s, a time certainly in London where there were lots of vacant shops. There wasn't a lot of money out there. And that's one of the reasons why there were so many collectives forming in London at that time, taking over 
derelict spaces and working together in a sense of collaborative uh, engagement. Maybe we're entering that time again now. Maybe in a world where money is scarce, we will see the decline of high-priced pay-to-enter photo competitions, portfolio reviews and workshops. I really hope so. Linking up with what I said at the beginning of this episode, many people have been offering exactly that for free. I hope that continues and I hope that that grows. But I also hope that though, when t- money is tight, people will think twice before entering some of these pay-to-play competitions. If we don't enter, if they don't receive the money, they don't exist. Is that a big problem? To my mind, no, it isn't. Again, because I'm older, I can remember a time when they didn't exist, but photography moved on. I think it's about time we took control of our own destinies. The last year has always has also seen a uh, a growing uh, recognition, <clears throat> excuse me, of the voice of black photographers, and that has to be a good thing. All sorts of Twitter feeds are now out there with black photographers, black female photographers, people moving forward and feeling confident. That's got to be good. Inclusivity and diversity has always been central to the photographic practice. Now, some of you may argue with me about that and say, well, yes, we can go through the European-centric history of photography, or we can talk about the fact that you know diversity and inclusivity was never there within photography, but it should have been in that mindset. And I think it probably was. But unfortunately, it was never allowed to exist. Which leads me on to what's been the negatives of the past year. The continued magnum approach to allegations of sexual misconduct by at least one of their members is a sad stain on the photographic community over the last year. I've been involved in photography for a very long time, over three decades. And it wasn't until uh, probably about eight or nine years ago, I suppose, when I started to uh, speak more with photojournalists and photo documentary uh, practitioners, that I, I started to become aware of the importance of this paid-for workshop and everything else that was around that. I hadn't been aware of that. There are whole areas of photography where that doesn't exist. But this sexist attitude, this lack of diversity and this lack of inclusivity really seems to be prevalent in that world. And it seems to have been reliant upon a system that is definitely corrupt and broken. And I think the way in which Magnum have dealt with these allegations over the last year has not improved things in any way whatsoever. There's certainly some people there who need to start listening to what's going on in the photo community and stop talking at. It's the problem when a collaborative becomes a brand. Moving on from that, the increasing alienation of major stakeholders within the photographic world, magazines, galleries, associations within photography from the photographic community, 
a growing sense of them and us. I think over the last year, because of this move online, I think a lot of photographers have felt empowered by online platforms and by being forced to actually talk to each other and form collaborative units which are supportive. And what that's done is it's further alienated those mainstream um, publications, um, associations. There's one in the UK, a major photographic publication, that has not even recognised the recent situation with Magnum. How can that be? I don't understand that. If you're going to reflect the state of photography in the world today and in the UK and in the US, you have to embrace everything, the good and the bad. You can't run it like a Trumpian cabinet whereby everybody's doing favours for each other and keeping quiet when things don't go right. My hope is that moving forward into 2021, the independent photographic community continues to grow, it continues to get stronger, it continues to be more and more supportive. If in that process, those who up until this point have seen us all as an audience, uh, customers to sell things to, if they go under, that will just be the way of things. But what I hope is that the independent community can remain strong. For many years, I would watch uh, award ceremonies, mainly for theatre uh, actors and cinema actors, the Oscars and the BAFTAs and so forth. And at the end of the awards or during the middle of the awards, they would run a roll call of people who had been lost during that year, who had died. And I felt it was a great shame that nobody was putting on record those photographers we'd lost in the previous year. Last year, I read a list of those photographers we had lost. And this year will be no different from that. Other than it's a really long list. I had to think about the idea of putting some music underneath what I'm about to do, and I couldn't find anything that was appropriate or, or felt right. So in that case, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read now the list of photographers that we've sadly lost in 2020. John Baldessari, Alan Raya, Frank Horvath, Bill Ray, Chris Killett, Saida Karnam, Michael Fresson, Hubert Henroti, Paul Murphy, Mark Wilson, Jimmy Gray, Bruno Barbie, Baron Warman, Aurelio Jose Barrera, Robert Blomfield, John Lowengard, Mitchell Sams, Alicia Tomaselli, Sidran Suki, Harold Evans, Dan Budnick, Farid Kayarulin, Andrew Wining, Jeff Jacobson, Matt Heron, Santu Mofokeng, Iko Narahara, Gene Young, Jürgen Schaderberg, George Hallett, Dave Parker, Boris Yarrow, Paul Fusco, Alan Davidson, Stuart Goodman, Victor Skrabensky, John Downing, Anthony Kausi, 
John Fowle, Theodore Gaffney, Robert Herman, Peter Beard, Sue Davis, Ted Grant, Bill Ray, Clive Limpkin, Astrid Kirscher, Richard Sadler, Roland McCowd, Elsa Dorfman, Lizen Sheng, Anna Bloom, and Chris Barham. My apologies if I've missed anybody off of that list. We're moving now into a new year, and I really hope it's as positive as it can be. We all know it's going to be filled full of challenges. But have no fear, the Photographic Life podcast will remain coming at you every week on a Wednesday morning. We've got some amazing photographers lined up to contribute to future issues and episodes, telling you what photography means to them. Just leaves me at this uh, time of the year to repeat words that perhaps get more and more important every week. Please just take care. <laughs>